I want you to just look in the mirror and say to yourself, I'm smart enough, I'm smart enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people listen to me because I'm the smart one. That's why I'm a good theologian. Welcome back, everybody, to Evaluating Modern Theology. It's good to be back. It's good to be back in the old chair looking at Mr. Paul Tillich. And by that I mean it's not good at all. But we have to do it to understand where all these weirdos are coming from that have ruined countless churches. Trained seminarians who now have Stockholm Syndrome as pastors and pastrixes. Ugh. They're basically mental abuse patients who are carrying on the wishes of their masters, whom they did not know they were taking on when they first entered seminary. But for a lot of them, especially for their theologians, for any subversive theologian, it always comes down to how smart somebody thinks they are and how smart they proclaim themselves to be. You see, around the turn of the century in the early 1900s, with all the battles concerning Marxism and Darwinism and uh, social Darwinism and other forms of isms out there, the smart set became ascendant. And everything had to be tinged with my reason, my smarts, my education. And it was inevitable for this to touch on theology, even though, properly speaking, theology is not necessarily a rational endeavor. Well, reason is a little bit of a part of it. Your average dogmatics professor ought to know his logic so that he doesn't come to the wrong conclusions when reading Holy Scripture. But reason is not on par with Holy Scripture. This is a massive, massive, massive error that so many Protestants have made in the past. We will criticize the Roman Catholic Church up and down for holding a tradition as equal to Scripture. And then so many Protestant bodies and theologians immediately held up reason as equal to scripture. Now they'll never admit that. They will say that they are sola scriptura to the moon and back, but you actually read their dogmatics or their systematic theology, and it is incredibly, incredibly reliant on their mental faculties, their logic chains, their charts, their research, how good they are at being smart. They're the smart set. And Protestantism unfortunately shot itself in the foot over and over and over again using their reason. Martin Luther says that reason is a harlot. She is a harlot that goes after the highest bidder. And what Luther meant by that was that you could use logic and reason in your scholarship to justify just about any position. There are Jehovah's Witnesses out there who are geniuses. They speak 
dozens of languages, I'm sure. They know their archaeology backwards and forwards. They are PhDs in philosophy, and they've got their doctorate in theology. And they can run circles around the average Christian in debate. But they're still wrong. I don't care how smart they are. I don't care how well-educated they are. They are still wrong. They interpret scripture according to their reason and according to their feelings, and much of their scholarship is devoted to trying to make the Bible say what it does not say. If a theologian prides himself in being a scholar, you should probably avoid him. Chances are, he spent all those years getting his doctorate or whatever, his big brain, so that he could become a master in mental gymnastics, and that he could get better at convincing you to stop believing your lying eyes. Oh man, they are really good at arguing with the Bible, aren't they? But Mr. Tillich, Paul Tillich, he sees it differently than a Lutheran theologian would, or at least a faithful Lutheran theologian. I know that those are currently in very short supply. But Mr. Tillich has a very interesting relationship with reason, especially because he doesn't want to admit how much he loves reason. Let's read from The Rational Character of Systematic Theology. The questions of the source, the medium, and the norm of systematic theology are related to its concrete historical foundation. But systematic theology is not a historical discipline. It is a constructive task. It does not tell us what people have thought the Christian message to be in the past, Rather, it tries to give us an interpretation of the Christian message which is relevant to the present situation. This raises the question, to what extent does systematic theology have a rational character? Now, right off the bat, we have to admit that here Mr. Tillich has a point. You aren't doing systematic theology if you are doing historical theology. There are many theologians out there today who mistake one for the other. I cannot tell you how irritating it was having to read some boring modern hipster theologian who thinks he's a bright guy because he says, well, this theologian said this, but that theologian said that. Well, okay, I don't care. I care what the actual message of Holy Scripture is. What are the contents of the Christian faith? If you want to say, this guy says this, here's why it's wrong on account of Holy Scripture, great! That's perfectly fine. The church does need to interact with and rebuff false teachings. But comparing one guy to another, or saying, Wow, so like St. Augustine held this, and I'm going to be a scholar of St. Augustine or something. That doesn't make you a systematic theologian. It does not make you a dogmatician. It makes you a guy that read Augustine and took notes. That has value, but not as much value as these guys think it has. But continuing on, uh, Mr. Tillich has some 
rational ideas about reason here. This raises the question, to what extent does systematic theology have a rational character? Certainly, reason must be used constructively in building a theological system. Nevertheless, there have been and still are many doubts and controversies concerning the role of reason in systematic theology. You see what he's sneaking in here? He says, to what extent does systematic theology have a rational character? I would say just knowing how to use logic to make sure your hermeneutics in reading scripture are accurate. He is going to answer very differently, but he sneaks something in right after. He says, certainly reason must be used constructively in building a theological system. Wait, why are we building theological systems? What is the case for building a theological system? Is that really how we're going to frame this? To the contrary, if you are going to be a Christian theologian, your main concern should be discovering God's theology. It is not yours. You are not building a system for the sake of having a system. You should be discovering what God is saying to us. That's a big task for a theologian. But remember, Mr. Tillich here believes in the situation. He believes in the church getting with the times, modernizing. Oh yeah, baby, we need to make sure the church is sleek, that it is advertised, that it answers all the questions that people have, whether or not that has anything to do with the church. Let's keep reading here. The first problem is an adequate definition of rational in the present context. Providing such a definition would, however, involve an extensive discussion of reason in its various structures and functions. Since such a discussion is impossible in this introduction, we must make the following anticipatory statements. There is a kind of cognition implied in faith, which is qualitatively different from the cognition involved in the technical, scholarly work of the theologian. It has a completely existential, ugh, existential, self-determining and self-surrendering character, and belongs to the faith of even the intellectually most primitive believer. Uh, okay, Mr. Tillich, I understand what you're getting at here. In his own way, he's trying to say that faith and reason are not the same thing. But for Mr. Tillich, well, faith is a different thing than what the Bible talks about faith. Remember, he believes that the entirety of Christianity is really about... Uh, participating in the new being in Jesus as the Christ, I think is how he's put it. So instead of talking about faith versus reason and the distinction between these two, as most modern theologians would like to do, what he says is, whoever participates in the new being participates also in its truth. The theologian, in addition, is supposed not only to participate in the new being, 
but also to express its truth in a methodical way. Well, the interesting thing about that for Mr. Tillich is that he wants to make it sound like you're building systems, you're being systematic, you're being scholarly. He values scholarship a heck of a lot more than I do or that Luther did. But at the same time, he doesn't want it to be too rational. He doesn't want people asking questions or poking holes in his theology. So he talks about a self-transcending or ecstatic reason in which we receive the contents of faith. A uh, great point for the enthusiasts, I guess. I suppose Tillich was happy with the charismatics. And at the same time, he talks about a formal or technical reason that expresses and builds a theology based on that feeling. It's very meta. What do I mean by that? There's metaphysics, which means beyond physics. How do we understand the world and how it works beyond our empirical senses and how this all works for the universe? There is meta-theology, which the entirety of this introduction and the past six uploads of evaluating modern theology have all been about. We're getting into meta-theology, the basis and foundation for how theology works. And with his discussion on reason, uh, Mr. Tillich is doing meta-harlotry. Like Luther said, reason is a harlot and Tillich has been thoroughly seduced, but he wants to make sure that he's going about this in a respectable way. Uh, it's not a street-walking harlot that he's going after. Oh no, he wants like some sort of high-class escort or geisha for his use of reason. And in fact, he's going to double-dip and have two. You see, he talks about a self-transcending reason that is beyond our comprehension, and then a formal reason. Oh, now we're into two harlots here, greedy Mr. Tillich. Here's how he puts it. In both cases, reason is not a source of theology. It does not produce its contents. Ecstatic reason is reason grasped by an ultimate concern. Reason is overpowered, invaded, shaken by the ultimate concern. Reason does not produce an object of ultimate concern. By logical procedures, as a mistaken theology tried to do in its arguments for the existence of God, the contents of faith grasp reason. Nor does the technical or formal reason of the theologian produce its content, as has been shown in the discussion of his sources and his medium. In other words, he's pointing out that reason doesn't produce theology. You cannot merely think yourself into the kingdom of God. Again, Mr. Tillich has a point. The two ladies at his side, one titled ecstatic or self-transcendent reason, and the other one titled uh, bookish, formal, methodological reason, however he wants to label his uh, dear harlot friends here, they can't 
bring you into the kingdom of God. Again, he has a point. We have to rely on the word of God. Or at least, that's what Lutherans believe, but Mr. Tillich, as we've already established, is not a Lutheran. His source for theology is like Heidegger and other existentialist thinkers and uh, a Christian costume on top of it. Let's see what he does with his point, though. What does he say about it? What does he do? One of the basic Christian truths to which theology must witness is that theology itself, like every human activity, is subject to the contradictions of man's existential situation. Although the problem of the rational character of systematic theology finally must remain unsolved, some directing principles can be stated. You hear that? What does he do with his point that he made? That reason cannot produce doctrine. Nothing. He does nothing about this except say, well, we can't answer this question, therefore we just need to have a few boundaries. And here is where he is contradicting himself and he probably doesn't care. He came up with a conclusion that has theological import, that this is a piece of doctrine, that theology cannot be produced by reason. How does he come up with that conclusion? By using his reason. He sets up a philosophical case and a logical case that reason cannot create theology. He used reason to create a doctrine that says reason cannot create doctrine. That's a contradiction. Now, either Mr. Tillich is just spinning his wheels, thinking too hard about thinking, or he doesn't actually believe that reason can't create doctrine. I'm inclined at this point, given his rhetoric and how weird and ugly and deceitful it's all been, to say that he doesn't actually believe what he's writing. But he writes it because he doesn't want his students going off the reservation and making their own theology with reason the same way he has made his own theology with reason. I believe this is Tillich being casually two-faced, as he has been the entirety of these past 54 pages that we've been going through. In case you don't believe me, let's go to a paragraph here in which he discusses the new being, as it touches on theological semantics. You see, he believes we should have rational and accurate definitions for our theological terms, which, of course, is true. It's common sense. And then he applies that to one of his favorite terms. Another example is the term new being. Being carries connotations of a metaphysical and logical character. It has mystical implications when used in relation to God as being itself. New, in connection with being, has connotations of creativity, regeneration, eschatology. These elements of meaning always are present when a term like new being appears. 
The principle of semantic rationality involves the demand that all connotations of a word should consciously be related to each other and centered around a controlling meaning. So he takes a word, particularly one of his favorite phrases, new being, and talks about all the connotations that we should explore if we are going to do a heckin' theology. What's the problem? The problem is that new being, as he calls it, is a new term that he is inserting into Christian theology in order to influence it and build his systematics. How does he come to terms like new being? Through his philosophy, through the philosophical circles that he dealt with, the existentialists in particular, Mr. Tillich uses a term that he came up with through reason, pretends it's always been a systematic theology term, and then goes about the business of evaluating it rationally. That's just doing reason. That's just from ground zero doing theology by reason alone, and then building it from there. It's not relying on a different source. It is Tillich saying, this is what I'm thinking of, this is the word I want to use for theology and how I'm going to do it, and now I'm going to define it. That never leaves the mind. It never goes into what the scriptures say. It's never discovering anything. So in this process, what Tillich is saying to his student, to you, his reader, or to a seminarian that went to seminary 30, 40, 50 years after Paul Tillich died, is that they have to use terms and find the rational definitions and semantics of terms that he personally inserted into theology using his reason. In other words, it's okay when I do it, it's not okay when you do it. Because I, Paul Tillich, have a mission for how I want to shape the church, and you're not going to mess that project up. Pipsqueak. The essence of Paul Tillich's metatheology on reason, or his meta-harlotry, is that reason is a harlot. But reason is his favorite harlot, and he doesn't want to share. Knowing, though, that he kind of has to share, because other people are going to be doing a heckin' theology aside from himself, what does he write? He says, The semantic situation makes it evident that the language of the theologian cannot be a sacred or revealed language. He cannot restrict himself to the biblical terminology or to the language of classical theology. He could not avoid philosophical concepts, even if he used only biblical words. And even less could he avoid them if he used only the words of the reformers. Therefore, he should use philosophical and scientific terms whenever he deems them helpful for his task of explaining the contents of the Christian faith. The two things he must watch in doing so are semantic clarity and existential purity. And right there, we don't have to read anything further in this section 
if it just means that, okay, you can play with my favorite companion, the harlot Reason, you can do that. But what you got to do is you got to play with her my way. You have to be with my Reason friend the way I want you to do it. <laughs> because after all, eventually somebody's going to have to use a term that is completely foreign to the Christian faith, just like I do all the time. I'm Mr. Tillich here. But I want theology from now on to be particularly tillicky. I want it to be very tillicky, so I'm going to teach people how to use reason my way, with the existential focus that I want. Because it was my reason that set all of this up, and I'm just sharing her with you. After all, how else is he going to serve the god that he worships, that is, philosophy, and in particular, existentialism? Finally, next week, we get into a little bit of why he loves him some existentialism in the next part of the section. Oh boy, I can't wait for that. That is going to be, uh... That's going to be special. We haven't actually gotten to Paul Tillich's personal theology yet. It's going to take us a bit to chew through his meta-theology first. But at least next week, we can hear him truly and certainly saying something about his sources and his worldview. Hope you're just as excited as I am for it. <laughs> Catch y'all next week. Amen and amen.